All right, everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Team Room. Peaches, who's off screen, is going to be on screen. There he is. Look at that guy. Speed surprise, violence of action. The chief shows up when he wants to show up. We got a good one for you today. Seer specialist, Courtney James. Courtney, thanks for coming on. What's up? <laughs> we wanted to bring you on just because we get a lot of seer questions. So shout out to the Discord. By the way, if you're not liked and subscribed across all platforms, what are you doing? Get on it, cones and quitters. Hit us up on the Discord. Hit us up in the DMs if you got questions. Uh, literally every question that we have today for our seer specialist friend came from Discord because we're not smart enough to come up with them on our own. So there you go. Court, for everybody out there, can you please tell us kind of like, uh, you know, where are you from? What's your background? And then, you know, how did you end up finding your way into the Air Force? Oh, man, I have a big background. <clears throat> uh, I'm from a small town called Hilliard, Florida. Most people from my town just call it Kings Ferry. It's like 10 miles out of that small town. One red light, one caution light. <clears throat> Wasn't much there. Uh, after graduating high school, went to college. Uh, got a degree in biology, minored in marine biology. Decided that living off of grants wasn't a thing I wanted to do anymore. Um, <clears throat> followed the military life around for, I don't know, about six, eight years. And then wanted to join the Air Force. A lot of my family has been in the Air Force. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to join and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted a commission, but at that time, there's just not many job openings. Um, so, and I was having kind of trouble with the recruiter. So I was like, I'm just going to go to enlisted recruiter, try and get my foot in the door. And I went in and I still talk to this recruiter today. If I forgot his name, I have to, I have to remember his name. Um, so I can give him a shout out, but I went up to him and I was like, I want to do something outdoors. I don't know what I want to do, but I want to do something outdoors. I don't want to be indoors. And he's like, well, you can do here. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. He's like, Hold on just a second. <laughs> you don't, Easy you don't there, do Tiger. Yeah, there's a <laughs> whole thing least, here. Yeah. yeah, let me at least tell you the requirements. I'm like, no, this is what I'm going to do. And he's like, yeah, but they're, they're, this is a process. And uh, so got my foot in the door, um, started rucking really early. And yeah, I just went off from there. He told me there was going to be some teaching. I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't really thrilled about the teaching thing. Um, when I think about teaching, I think about like elementary school and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I think about math teachers, you know, I think about these things and I was like, this, this is probably not going to work. So, um, no, it worked out. It worked out fine through the process. So how much information did you have beforehand? Cause I was poking around, uh, the, the website. So go mil, which is a fantastic resource. Every time I look at it, I'm mm -hmm. like, wow, these guys, you know, these guys and gals really crushed it. But how much information I know it was kind of, you know, Sear was brought up to you and you were like, Oh, okay. That sounds cool. How much research did you do before you actually started preparing and getting into the pipeline prep stuff? I, I, I mean, I did as much research as what you, you can do. Um, my recruiter told me quite a bit. I mean, not many people in the past have been told, hey, you're going to be teaching. Uh, he actually told me, like, you know, this is a teaching job, but it's just, you know, it, it's got a lot of perks to it around as well. And I didn't know how much teaching I really was going to do. Um, <clears throat> and I wasn't super passionate about that. I really wanted that team dynamic because I had always, you know, been on a team throughout college and so on and so forth. But... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I listened to your podcast, One's Ready. I listened to that. That was that was helpful. And then just for the pipeline type and the, and the camaraderie and so on, um, 
But yeah, I went on that website and I talked to some seer folks and yeah, just did as much research as I could. I didn't do a whole bunch, but enough to enough to get me going. It's funny that the folks we talk to, some people go in completely blind and they're like, I'm glad I didn't have all the all the information. And some are, you know, like you, like I did a little bit of research, but I didn't want to overdo it. And then there's always the other spectrum where they have to know every single thing about what they're going to do. Yeah, I had a developer that was a seer guy and he's like, just honestly, the biggest advice I could give you is take it one day at a time. If you get too far ahead of yourself, then you're not going to be focusing on that that day. And that's what I tell some of the seer guys. I mean, I talked to a few a few girls, a um, few females that are interested in the seer pipeline and guys as well. And then they're just like, well, how's life like a seer specialist? And I was like, well, it took me two years to get here. So let's start. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, let's just take it one day at a time. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. And and sometimes that's very hard to do as a SEER candidate is not get too far ahead of yourself. Nice. I just want to highlight something for everybody out there because it's a highly asked question that we get. You know, can you get your degree and still go enlisted? And people ask about the aspect war pipelines all the time. And we always say yes, but you're a great shining example of, hey, yeah, absolutely. You can totally get your degree. And then if you decide you want to do one of these enlisted jobs and that's something that you want to do more power to you. And I'm sure it's going to help you yeah. in the future. I want to hit, I want to hit the, um, the development piece of it real quick too, because it's another question we get asked all the time yeah. as you were going through development and your physical preparation, did you ever feel like you were 100% ready to go? Or did you get to like where you felt like you were good and meeting mm. your numbers and then you pressed out? I never really felt like I was hundred percent. Honestly, if you always feel like you're hundred percent, then you're not ready. Right. You need to have that a, a little bit of nervousness to go in a little bit of, oh, man, is this going to be enough? Uh, I hit my numbers like I wanted to. And it took me a little while. So development starting, you can and they never used to have development. This is kind of a new thing coming through, which I it helped me in general, because you can be in development from a year to two months. If you want to, you have to pass the pass test at least two times in a row. And I think they've changed it now. It might be just once. Uh, but when I went through two years ago, it was, I needed to pass it twice in a row to be able to even, cause it was, it was harder when you went through. That's why. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it you can now start scared. saying, you heard, you heard it here easier. first. You heard it here first. It was harder. <laughs> Rocks were heavier. Water was wetter. Yeah, exactly. Water was wetter. Um, yeah, no, but, uh, development, you know, you, you've got some really good guys, some some retired TACPs and PJs, uh, SEER guys. You've got, you got these contractors that are just really awesome. They know their shit, um, and they, they make these workouts based on, you know, the requirements that you have to meet. <clears throat> Extremely intelligent guys, and they just, they just put you through it. And um, I had... I had uh, Eddie Ramos, which was a TACP guy. I had Jason Craig, which was a SEER guy. And then uh, Owen Duff, uh, he was an EOD guy. And he, he helped me out a lot because I was struggling through the run. Uh, it took me four months. I was in development for four months. And uh, everything was going good. It was just my run that was just kind of, I'm a sprinter. I'm not really a, you know, long distance runner. So... <laughs> I was a little bit slower, uh, but it took me, you know, he, he got me, he got me up there. Owen Duff did. Um, he was a T3I developer, but he knew exactly, you know, the numbers to push and, and yeah, it took me four months and that wasn't bad. Cause normally you'd take the pass test once a month is what you would do. Um, you take it once a month, you get ready, 
you send weekly reports to your to your coach and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. That way, you know, you show, hey, I'm invested. I'm doing this stuff um, on a weekly basis is when you would send those weekly reports. And then they would they would look at it and adjust it from there. So, you know, Peaches, we should get a T3I developer on. I we should. We, uh, I would, yeah, we know we know those guys. We do know those so, guys. Yeah, we do know those guys. Um, uh, anyway, there's some guys there, um, T3I guys there at uh, Fairchild as well that they help with the uh, pre-team and team guys that are helping with. Um, it's Coach Travis Barrett up there, but mm-hmm. he helps them. Uh, smart guys, just really intelligent. Oh yeah, they, and and they're motivated, and they know that they're helping out the career field, the exactly. future of the career field, and and. Uh, they're very unassuming because you have some of those folks that are, um, I mean, are very decorated, very decorated. Yes. And uh, like, it's, it's very impressive. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the develop or the, the folks in development, they don't, they just don't know because they don't know what they don't know. And, and they're like, Hey, just so you know, this, this dude was um, killing, killing bad dudes um, quite frequently during the days. <laughs> yeah. Literally <laughs> you know. when you were in diapers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Quite literally, before yeah. you were in grade school, yeah. this guy was, uh, to use a, an old colloquialism, putting warheads on foreheads. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of intimidating. You know, you go up and, and you're in these group of people, you know, candidates, whether they're PJs, TACPs, you know, CCTs. So you're all kind of meshed in as a group. But you get this guy and he's like, yeah, I've been in for, you know, I've been a, a TACP guy for 20 years and I've done this, this and this. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a little intimidating. Well, the I'm glad you mentioned it cuz the the talk about being a teacher and and you know when whenever you hear teacher, you at least me, I think of, you know, high school or, or elementary or something like that. You're a, you're a school teacher. Exactly. Um, but so so many <clears throat> so your job is specifically being a teacher and instructor. Um, you know, PJs have instructorship within their CCT does, TACP does, the, the JTAC qualification does. I mean, where I'm at the weapons school, school, mm-hmm. it's in the name, you know, it, it, there's, we are in the, the military is in the business of training and teaching and then all the other things that come along with that. It's, that didn't put you off at all. Like you're, you're all in on that. Yeah, so so like you said, that's when I first thought about it as being a teacher, as like a math teacher. <laughs> Nobody yeah, yeah. likes their math teacher, their science teacher, right? <laughs> you know, it's like I don't want to be that. But I was like, you know, I'm I'm just going to give it a chance because uh, if you think about it, we're all we're all teachers, we're all we're all mm-hmm. leaders, and and one way or another, you have to be some sort of teacher, right? And that can look like a lot of different things, and and Sear. I, at first I was just like, I don't think I'm going to have a passion to be seer. And, and you lose so many, so many guys throughout the process because they're like, I just don't, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm, I don't like the teaching thing. And we lost a lot of guys because of that. And when I started to get into the pipeline more and what I was teaching spoke to me. And that's where I got mm-hmm. my passion from teaching was, okay, these are the things, these are, these are some core value things. Like these are things that I could teach my family. These are things that I could teach my, my future children. Yep. You know, these are things that, Hey mom, come over here. Let me show you some, let me show you a trick. You know, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem like a job. It, it seemed like, Hey, you know, let me teach you this thing. And 
And that's something that you can just pass on to generations and generations. Uh, you want to learn how to survive? You want to learn how to build a fire? You want to learn, you know, certain things? Come here and I'll show you. So that was, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. It, it, yeah. One more thing on, on that whole teaching aspect of it is that, um, a lot of, I mean, one of the m- most terrifying things for people is public speaking. I, I, you know, I, I get it, you know, <laughs> but so many people like that would turn people away and, and you visiting a recruiter and going, Hey, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. It's, it's teaching, it's instructing. It's obviously getting in front mm-hmm. of people. Did you struggle with that at all? Because that's, that's one thing that's always <laughs> impressed me with the Sierra career field is we take brand new airmen and we, tr- you know, we train them and the, the Sierra instructors train them. And it's like, okay, there you go. Go teach <laughs> in front of a room, a room full of, um, you know, enlisted anywhere from airmen basic all the way up to, to senior NCOs and then officers from lieutenants to, to majors, lieutenant colonels, you know, it's uh we just throw them to the wolves. Absolutely. Uh, I tell you one thing I sucked. I sucked so bad. Uh, <laughs> we all I did. Was... <laughs> no, no instructor in the military was any good when they first started. I, I remember just cringing <clears throat> when I first started instructing. Cause we would have <clears throat> to teach like, you know, your team sergeant be like, okay, Aaron, teach me how to do this thing. I've only, I've only done 500 times. I'm just like, Oh no. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I wasn't good. I wasn't good at all, but you have to have confidence. There were so many guys on our team that was such, you know, it just came naturally to them. Uh, I had to, I had to work hard for it. You know, there was, there was several times where, um, where, I had to reteach a lot of different lessons because I just sucked so bad. But the confidence wasn't there, right? The confidence wasn't there and the passion. The passion to teach what you're teaching wasn't there until I, I started to, to develop that, to grow that, is that passion. And once you have that passion, it just starts coming naturally. Um, a... On team wasn't that great. You start learning these uh, teaching aspects when you go through the selection process. So right after BMT, you go to selection, and then you start kind of doing these TNCs, which is just time and circumstance. That's all it stands for. <clears throat> and these are just kind of short, spontaneous little um, lessons that you can teach and just kind of come off out of the blue. Hey, you. You teach something on this. Go now. Mm-hmm. Like you've got one minute to think about it. I'm like, <laughs> So, uh, practice and confidence and passion. And then afterwards, just, I, I went and platform teached for three months. Um, and you've got these senior airmen, you've got A1Cs teaching, you know, Lieutenant colonels, teaching people that come from the Pentagon, you know, and, mm-hmm. and through this pipeline, they teach you how to speak to anybody. You know, and, and that's, that's why this career field is so great is no matter, you know, what our rank is, we're, we're taught to that level and say, Hey, you need to be respectful. You're, you're going to be speaking to, you know, not just NCOs, not just enlisted, but, but officer as well. And you need to be, you know, know your shit, but also speak respectfully as well, professionally. Um, and I think that's what the career field is well known for is, is they instill that into us at a very, very young stage in the pipeline. And that's what I really liked is regardless if you sucked or not, they, they're like, Hey, you need to fix this, do this. And then if you didn't, you're cut, like you're gone. That's yep. great. So 
That was good. Yeah. You want to know, you want to know if you know something or somebody else knows something, have them teach it or try and teach it. That's how you truly yes. know if you, if you, you truly know the material. So, all right. So taking a, I, I got a little far ahead probably, but so taking a step back. No, 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 that was, that was my, me, but it's four months in development and then you go to BMT. Um, did you go to, you went to a, like a normal BMT flight, right? Yes. Or did you hit? Okay. So you, you graduate BMT and then you go to selection. What was like, how did that look? Well, going to BMT was a little bit harder. They don't necessarily for SEER for me, they didn't necessarily set a time side, set time aside words, uh, to, They're hard. I don't know. You you go through the development. You're you're on top. You're here. You're ready. And then they tell you, hey, you're going to be going to BMT for like two and a half months. You're going to lose a lot. Um, and that was true. Like I lost a lot. <clears throat> Only because we didn't get that time for Sear in particular. We didn't get that time to to work out more, to run more, so on and so forth. But I went through COVID as well. Um, so that didn't help, but being a female flight, they just didn't set that time aside. So I just had to request to my MTI, Hey, like, can I go down there and do some pull-ups? Can I go down there, you know, and, and run a little bit more as long as you had your buddy little system, um, you could go down there and do some more. So that's probably something, um, to be aware of is <clears throat> like, if you're going through, you may have to request a little bit of that time. And then obviously the sit-ups are different. The push-ups are different. Everything is different. So asking, hey, can I do a little bit extra to do the sit-ups and the push-ups that I actually need to do in the in the pull-ups? Um, can I do those on my own time? So that to be aware of. Right after BMT, went straight to selection, uh, right over across the street to Chapman. Um, and yeah, still still three week long course. Uh, week one is on base. Week two is is base, and then week three is is the field portion. Uh, still focusing a lot on time management is where they really see. Hey, does this kid have some time management skills? I sucked at time management. <laughs> really, I did. I was a perfectionist. I needed to have everything right, and that that led to a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, me, I was okay with it because that's just where I wanted to be. But a lot of a lot of guys were just like, "Yeah, I can get this done in like a few hours, and I'm good." And I'm just like, "Man, how did you do? Can you teach me how to do that?" <laughs> uh, time management, attention to detail was a really big one, and just learning how to—that's where they teach you how to take notes specifically because they want you to to all be the same <clears throat> and be organized. But yeah, that was pretty much how the selection was going. I'm on a tangent. Sorry. No, you're not on a tangent. It was, <laughs> okay. If you see, if you see us looking down, we're taking notes. Yeah. Okay. It's the point of the podcast. No. Yeah. We totally, court. oftentimes we bring guests on and then we zone out when they talk. That's how you make a good podcast. <laughs> no, no <problem. laughs> I wanted to ask you some questions about selection there because you, you really hit on it and we had already decided that we were going to ask you this question beforehand, but you're awesome, which is how you got there first. But how much did you depend on your team in those times? Because like you've alluded to, you were losing people, people were failing events, people were doing better or worse. Like you said that you felt behind and you had to ask some teammates for help. How important was that team aspect when you were going through selection? I'm glad you asked that question because uh, a lot of guys, you know, they, they look at these career fields like any career field. They'll, they look at them very, you know, they're glorified, right, in, in some way or another. 
do some cool stuff. Like I want to do the cool stuff. And they don't realize that they're going in thinking that they can just do it on their own. And you can't, you absolutely can't regardless how, how high your ego is and how independent you think you are. You will not make it if you do not depend on your team. And I will tell you that right now, how many times I had to depend on my team and I wasn't, I mean, I was not the best SEER candidate by far. There was so many guys that were so much better than than me that I could list off of my team that I'm just like, that dude was good, right? But regardless if you're the best or you know, you're 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 just making it, you have to depend on other other people. That team dynamic is so, so important. And we were taught that through the pipeline. Hey, you're gonna have to depend on each other. And if I'm if I'm sucking at something, this guy's doing really good at it. Go to that guy and figure out figure out what he's doing. You know, say, hey, teach me how to do this, because that's the only way you're going to make it together. One, you have to you have to instill that trust. Right. So the crap you go through when you hit Fairchild is a whole nother level than selection. You. If you don't have trust, if you don't have communication, you know, I, I'm speaking like this is a marriage. <laughs> Don't it's stare as close anybody. to a marriage as you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> it is to the Air Force. It is to the Air Force. You might so, as well be married, baby. Um, if you don't trust your guys to your left and right, and I'm sure this is the same as any any pipeline. Um, if you don't trust those guys, you're going to be left by yourself. And that's going to be 10 times harder. Uh, so that team dynamic is so it's so crucial, so crucial. And when you get to Fairchild, and I'm kind of going a little bit ahead, um, they coaches and cadre know how to distill and in, instill that in you. And and I'm sure you guys know that you you've got your um, your glorious uh, workouts that you do and your <laughs> and your uh, smoke sessions that you do that that might last three or four hours depending on how small of a screw up that you've done. So in those moments, no. you're relying, hey, dude, it's all right. You got it. Like whether it's just pushing each other along or like, hey, can you help me out on this? I don't know how you just did that stitch. And I need you to tell me how you did it. Like what is an attention yeah, step again? Like, so. <laughs> and some people are naturally going to orient to that stuff a little bit faster. It's just the way that teams go. Some people mm-hmm. you see them pick it up right away. I, I remember I went through the pipeline with a kid named Chris. Chris was perfect at everything the first time he did it. it and it was literally to the point like, Chris, te- how did you figure out how to do this? He's like, I don't know. I just, I just picked it up. So um, I want to talk timeline a little mm-hmm. bit. So you got out of selection. Con- congrats. We crushed it. And then you're getting ready to make the move from San Antonio up to Spokane, up to the Sierra Mecca. <laughs> what did that, what did that timeline look like? How much time did you spend kind of in between that move to Fairchild? Okay, so I'll go back a little bit. In selection, they've got iterations, right? They have, when I went through Alpha through Echo, and that Alpha through Echo would all transition up there at different times, of course, but they would all eventually go up to preteam and stay on preteam. Now, I think they've changed that a little bit now. Um, I was at Alpha um, iteration, but I think they do it from 0, 1 to 10 now. So we're depending on what your class cycle is going to be, because in Fairchild, you have two class cycles a year, a winter class, which is the best class. I'm just kidding. It's got to be hard. You know what I mean? Went through a winter class. I was tougher than you, obviously. And then you have a summer class. 
So I was 2202, which is a winter class. 02 was always a winter class. Um, but I think in selection they have that 01 to 10. So you could be like 2401 and 2402 all the way to 10. So for me, when I graduated that alpha iteration, <clears throat> I, I stayed, I stayed in the schoolhouse there selection for like six weeks it took them a little while to get us up to Fairchild and I caution guys at that point they think that they have completely you know they're they're high here they're like oh I got selected I'm I'm this you know I'm this badass now yeah check yourself because you can still get kicked out by doing some stupid stuff over there and there's been a lot of people that's done some stupid stuff there and then it's just got kicked out of the con the entire pipeline, they never make it up to Fairchild. So check yourself after go up to Fairchild. Um, and then you're on preteen is what they call it. So that's where, uh, coach Travis Barrett up there, you're, you're treated like a professional athlete. I'll tell you that, uh, that's where coach Travis is what we call him. Um, <clears throat> he focuses on basically focuses on, um, see, pretty much lifting mechanics you focus on lifting mechanics you focus on correcting imbalances and then focusing on longevity longevity <clears throat> what you need before you hit team if you're underweight like i was trying to get you you know as as heavy as you can get but in a in a um in an athletic standpoint right in a in a healthy standpoint because you've got 15 phases on team. I believe there's 15 phases. There's a lot of phases, like 13 to 15 phases on team. And you lose, I mean, some guys will lose from 10 to 25 to 30 pounds a phase sometimes, depending on the phase. Jeez. Yikes. Yeah. Can you guys hear me okay? Because my headphones just died. No, yep. you sound yep. great. Got your leg clear. I was not prepared. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, get your shit, go to station one. You failed this station. <laughs> I worked out with him. That's a good excuse. Um, so yeah, so pre-team, since I was an alpha iteration, that first iteration, I was on pre-team for six months, which for me was good because I needed, I needed to prepare. I needed a lot more to prepare. You think that the workouts at selection are hard? You go to Fairchild and they're, I'm telling you, it's a different game. Your workouts are, are two to three hours long. And that is built, pre-team is built to break you down and build you back up for team. And you're constantly being broken down every single time. <clears throat> and we knew this because we were just like, man, I don't want to do this shit today. <laughs> they're going to, it's going to be two, three hours of just, you know, if somebody didn't throw up or somebody didn't pass out in a workout, it was, it was, it was rare. It was very, Coach very Travis brought a rare. week. Yeah. Brought yes. that week sauce. That's what you should. It's because you didn't respect his workouts. That's what you should tell him. <laughs> I, I went to a, a conference um, earlier and Peaches and I talked about this conference and I uh, spoke, I spoke to, um, to a lot of people about my third day being up at Fairchild was on my third day and we were doing, we were doing 400 meter sprints. And I mean, I was pretty ready. I was, I was, I was pretty good by that point. I was maybe sitting at like a 
and this is not a great score, but I was sitting at like a 10, 15, 10, 20 mile and a half. And we needed to have it under 11 and under. And I was like, hey, that's good for me. I'm hitting it. That's good. We're doing these 400 meter sprints. We're at the eighth, ninth one. And I am hacking. I'm like, I come to the cadre. And at that time was Sergeant Pendleton. And he was a, a great, great pre-team cadre. Um, really got our team to mesh very, very well. And that's what pre-team is all about, is getting, getting all the guys to rely on each other, um, to to solidify everyone together before team, because you're not going to make it on team. If you can't make a bond, like an unbreakable bond is what they're trying to make, right? The cadre is trying to make an unbreakable bond with you on pre-team before you hit team. So you're successful. So I'm on my third day. We're hitting these sprints and I go, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I I can't breathe. I'm about to pass out. And, and Sergeant Pendleton looks at me. He's like, Aaron James, it's funny how you think you have a choice. And I'm like, huh? We go, Sergeant. Yeah, it's, it's called the Air Force, not the Air Friends, Courtney. Huh? <laughs> and that's when it hit me. I'm like, okay. So went back, ran until Ugh. I passed out. And the seer medics came to me and was like, just give her a second. She'll come back. And But that was great because... He saw my limits and then I saw my limits and I'm like, okay, I, I need to push these limits a little bit more. And that's what made us great was yeah. you don't have a choice. Go up there and do it. The IP doesn't have a choice. So do it. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah. You know what you could have used during that time? You probably could have used some hoist. That would have been really helpful for you <laughs> at that time of max effort. It hydrates better than water. You can go to onesready.com and check out drinkhoist.com. Use our code at checkout. No big deal. And that's what we call an organic ad read in your face, peaches. <laughs> yeah, you got me on that one. I was like, oh, where, where are we going with that? Where are we going? With I got it. it. I, so was, I, was, I was, yeah, the hoist is good. The hoist is good. It's one of the only three DOD approved beverages used for rehydration. It hydrates 110% better than water. That's a yes. real thing. Thank you. Go to drinkhoist.com. Use code ones ready to check out. I like the dragon fruit. It's obviously the best flavor. Um, so I want to talk about pre-team and I want to talk about kind of the dynamics of team. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to put a plug out there. Uh, GoSeer.af.mil has, has a, a great list of attributes uh, for successful seer uh, specialist candidates, all kinds of stuff. So go check that out. But you got on a, on a pre-team. And you had to spend about six months. So those times are always going to vary, but it's a question that we get often is how long am I going to spend on pre-team? And then when team starts, how many, how many folks did you start with on team? Uh, so yeah, you're right on pre-team. It really depends that alpha class. I was six months. Echo could be a month or two. So okay. that echo class sometimes could be pushed to another cycle if they don't get all their prerequisites done. And I'm going back a little bit and I'll hit team in just a second. Um, but what to know about pre-team is you have to get all your prerequisites done. You first have to go through the three-week SEER course as a SEER candidate, right? Because why would you not go through something that you're going to be teaching? So you go through that course and then you go through um, an indoctrination course, which is, it's like selection on steroids, that indoctrination course, um, which is another kind of kick in the gut, uh, you lose another, a lot of, a lot of good people again there, <clears throat> whether it be through medical reasons or integrity reasons, you lose a lot of people through there. Uh, you get on team and we in particularly 
so classes have, have had higher, uh, higher numbers in general because they've just needed more people. Uh, but the attrition rate overall, I would say, is still very, very high. So starting from development all the way through the apprentice course, which is just on team, is still extremely high. Throughout the entire thing, I would still probably say it's like 90%. Now, on team, gotten a lot better. I mean, you've seen articles that have said, I don't know, the attrition rate has has lowered a lot more. On team. But people don't realize how many people have been lost throughout the process, um, which is a lot. So we get on team. I think we started with like 60, maybe 60. Sometimes it's more because people get, like I said, people are like all over the place. They get pushed onto different cycles. They have a medical thing that they need to to figure out and they're, they're pushed to, you know, or they've got to have their, their PT a little bit better. It really just depends. Um, they'll be on pre-team for maybe a, maybe a year, depending on. Um, but I would say maybe 60. And then we graduated with um, 44. We graduated with 44. So. Okay. And you mentioned it earlier. There's, you know, the 15 phases. I'm not going to expect you to like walk through every single one of them, but I know a you know, lot of just them. A- A couple of questions just about the apprentice course in general is, you know, how long is it? And then what were the phases that you struggled with the most? Ooh, uh, the apprentice course is five and a half months long. Can we just round that up? Six months sounds great. Six months. Six months sounds way better. (laughs) I can't, you you can give me the the training days. You can tell me however it is that you want. This is your podcast. You do whatever you want. (laughs) Technically it's five and a half months. Um, I like to call it six months because that's just what it's, it felt like. It just felt like an eternity. Uh, the apprentice course is going to be about six months long. <clears throat> and then you have your 13 to 15 phases. You have five critical phases throughout those that you have to pass. One, the first course that you typically will go through is your CSS, which is your um, your core survival skills. Is what was what they call it, or the older steer guys would call it FAM. So if you hear guys call it FAM, it's it's CSS, um, and that is another kick in the gut. <laughs> uh, especially going through a, a winter class, that was that was rough. I don't give off a lot of body heat, so I struggled a lot. I struggled to get my assignments done. Still, time management, task saturation—that's where you learn, um, you know, sleep, how you how you function with sleep deprivation and food deprivation. That's kind of where you get an all-encompassing, and you lose a lot of people through CSS through that first phase. Um, it it only just gets harder and harder, and there's no really smooth transition to tell you the truth. It just kind of it just kind of kicks in. You're just in it. Um, that was that was a hard phase for me. I, that's where I started to get uh, a little bit of frost nip because some of the some of the um, gear just wasn't fitting me right. Um, that next phase, which is also a critical phase, is your navigation phase. And that was also in a, in a winter class. So that was, that was also rough for me. That was the first time where I thought I was going to quit. 
I didn't feel like I, I wanted to quit in CSS. Um, but in, in my navigational phase, I, I did. Um, my toes were hurting really bad. They were going to medically take me out of that phase. And, um, I looked at the seer medic and I was like, I'll haunt you for the rest of your life. If you take me out, <laughs> I was like, I've lost a lot and sacrificed a lot to be here. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go. So I'm not going to say any names, but they kept me in, which is good. Um, but yeah, I got, I got frostbite for sure. Uh, that's what I struggled with a lot is staying warm and, and kudos to the guys that, you know, I, I had to buddy up with and tense and stuff because if it wasn't for their body heat, I, I wouldn't have survived. No, no way would I survived by myself. Um, because I, I had to rely on other guys, body heat to, to keep me alive. Um, and so kudos to to the guys on my team, but yeah, I I wanted to quit. I saw, I saw a guy, really good guy was going to be a super great seer specialist. You could just tell like, this guy's going to be good. And and I remember we, uh, we had just a spontaneous, uh, firecraft and I had forgotten all my shit. I had only had my axe. So it was going to be just an axe firecraft and it sucked, uh, because I, I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I was at the low of the low. Um, and I had lost, I had lost all of it right there. And that was where I realized, you know, hey, this is probably going to be it for me. I, I saw one guy quit, and he was a great guy. We were all the way down in a valley, and he was walking up the hill, going to talk to the cadre, telling him that he didn't want to make it. And now it's harder to quit now in the middle of a phase. Um, they normally cadre will make you go through that phase first and then let you kind of decide after that phase is done, because sometimes it's just kind of in the moment. You're very emotional. You're like, I'm quitting. I'm done. And, and it's a little bit harder to quit now in a, in a phase. It's not hard to quit, but in the middle of a phase, when you're on team, it's a little bit harder to quit. They'll kind of push you a little bit more. And then if you're still really wanting to, then you can. This guy seemed to really want to quit for a while, uh, maybe because of, I think, family reasons. And I saw him walk up that hill and I was like, I think I'm going to follow him. I think I'm going to follow him. And I I finally just took a second and I'm like, man, this sucks. Uh, I'm cold. I'm wet. I don't have any of my gear. I'm going to fail this firecraft because I don't have any of my stuff. Um, and I just want to get out of here. I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable. <laughs> right. And how many times yeah, you, you would have had to walk all the way up that hill though. Exactly. Like how you, many you, times you could have at least stay. Yeah. Do we go through things and we're just not comfortable. Right. So I look to the guy at my left and I look to the guy at my right and I'm like, I just need to take a, a little bit of a, pers- a perspective. And I look to the guy on my left and I see that he's struggling too. And I'm like, well, shit, like, I'm not the only one. Why am I being so selfish? Right. I'm not the only one here. Everybody else is with me. And I remember I'm like, well, shit, we're in all this together. Everybody's doing this together. We're struggling together. You know, I'm not the only one that's cold. So suffer in silence and just get get it done. You know, you're good. So 
I, I hit that. I really hit that where I just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And if you don't hit that, then, then you're doing something wrong. Then something, something's wrong. If you don't, if you don't hit that at least once and think about it and be like, I don't like it. <laughs> so there's nav. I don't want to get off on a tangent. And then, um, let's see. Next one is going to be, um, ITB, which is instructional techniques base portion. That's where you're teaching really, it dives in. Um, that's another core phase, which I struggled in for the teaching because I had to reteach a lot of different things because that confidence wasn't there. That passion that I was teaching for wasn't there. I was really focused on, I'm stressed. I need to hit this. I need to do good at this. The, the heart wasn't really in it. That's why I feel like I didn't do as well. I was just focusing on, I need to pass it, right? I just need to survive. I'm in survival mode. So another phase is going to be um, ITF. That's where you have a full day. You get these uh, field flight guys, uh, what they call pack carriers, and you can go into the field flights and you get a uh, perspective of what a full day would be like teaching students <clears throat> at the schoolhouse, at least. So you have a, f a full day that you have to prepare. Um, you have to. Um, what's the words? Um, organize. You have to organize your entire day, however you want to do it, based off of the location, based off of how many students you have, um, based off of your route. What are you going to hit first? Are you going to talk about water first? What are your, you know, your, your, um, what are your priorities? What are the basic needs that you have to hit? in this situation. So uh, that's another phase that you have to pass. And we lost, I think, uh, maybe one or two guys in that phase. And that was in a later phase. We probably hit maybe four months at that phase and you're still losing guys. Like that's, can you imagine doing, let's say a year and a half, a year and a half of training in the pipeline and you, this is a job interview. People don't realize that. The entire two years that I did this was a job interview the entire time. There is no guarantee that you're going to hit the end. So if you don't hit the end of that apprentice course, you're done. And these guys realize that like they went through the entire thing and two months before graduation, they were cut. So sucks to suck. I don't know what to tell you. Yourself. Like it, yeah. it hurts. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the thing sucks, about pipelines. Is, yeah, <laughs> it, like, so. that was a great Candace Owens quote, by the way. Fantastic. Yeah, Life sorry. sucks. Get a helmet. I don't know what to tell you. I'm too pregnant for this. Great job, Candace Owens. <laughs> but people, people don't realize that stress. And we try to communicate that as much as possible. Like the pipelines, it's the most fun that you'll ever do. You know, for yes. the PJ pipeline, you're jumping out of planes and you're learning how to dive. And for the controllers, you're calling in airstrikes and you're actually talking to, talking to people on a plane and they do you know what you ask them to do, but it's evaluation every single day. And it exactly. mentally weighs on you. Like you go in every single day and you're like, Hey, if I'm not on my game today, this could all be for nothing. Yes. Yeah. I think that's very, very important. Um, Jeez. Uh, let's see. We talked about ITF and then you have E&E, which is your evasion and escape phase. That, that was probably 
That was my second hardest phase. Maybe it was my first. I don't know. Um, that that was rough. It was cold, and then it was rough trying to to give an overall review of it. It's it's where you have to evade. You have to escape and evade cadre. You have to escape and evade uh, whether it's a local patrol in the area. Like they'll take, they'll take, you know, police guys, they'll take tracking guys, they'll take, uh, tracking dogs. Um, they'll take all these guys and they'll put them together and they'll try and find you something that the enemy would probably do. Right. Um, and if you get caught, you have a lot of consequences. So resistance training really plays a role into that. Um, I struggled with that a lot. Really, really heavy. Um, did well. Sucked at evading in my group. Great at resisting. Uh, that's where it led me to resistance training, which was great. But um, that was a rough phase for me mentally. Mentally was a was a was a uh, a rough stage. Um. I don't know. I could, there's I, not apparently much so, because it. because I could see you as you're as you're sitting here looking at it. I could see it in your eyes, just recounting everything. You're, just, yeah, you're like, 100%. oh boy, just just haunting. <laughs> man, yeah, um, yeah. It takes you back. I mean, you you think about yeah, you think about <clears throat> these things, and it and it definitely takes you back. And you're like, man, this was tough. But how tough would it be for someone who was actually captured? Right? Mm-hmm. It'd be ten times worse. So it's like, I, I, I didn't really go through stuff, but man, it does. And you, you think about it, it does haunt you. Um, but I'm glad that the training was great. Um, really puts into perspective of what could happen. Um, and you get to see what kind of grit you have. You, you really do get to see what kind of grit you have. And it's really, that's where I realized that. It was a lot more mental than so, so much physical, but it really is more mental than anything. And if, if you, if you can't, if you can't get it together up here, you're, you're probably, you're probably not gonna, not gonna make it. So, so I've mentioned it a couple of times and I just wanted to, to kind of ask you a, a question, kind of pull that thread a little bit. So the attributes of a successful SEER specialist candidate, you can find them over at goseer.af.mil. Um, but there's a whole bunch of things in here, right? And you just said, you know, one of them kind of keyed me in was grit, you know, grit, that work ethic. They have a bunch of stuff listed here. Everything from, you know, ownership of errors, intelligence is in the cognitive, uh, cognitive function area. You have to have high level problem solving and multitasking. What are some of those, what are some of the most important attributes you leaned on during these times? We talked about your hard phases. We talked about your, you know, your great take on perspective. And really not getting caught up in moments, you know, that's a high emotional intelligence or an EQ sort of uh, function. What are some of those attributes that you saw from those successful seer candidates that you were like, they got it? Um, I think you have to humble yourself. Uh, I know I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to. Um, call him out by name, but there was, there was a guy on my team. Uh, he was a, a previous NFL player. 
he was already high. Like he's done it. He's, he's done the stuff and he's really good at the physical stuff. Just crushed everything. It was great. A uh, little bit older guy and, um, he's just great at everything naturally, you know? Uh, but he had to humble himself at some point and, and it was great to see that growth because we saw that in all of us, not just him, but, but we saw that in all of us that we had to humble ourselves and say, Hey, I need help too. You know, um, even the best guys on our team, they needed help as well. So humbling yourself is, I think, really, really key. You talked about intelligence. I really like that attribute only because in this job is continued education. And that's one of the reasons why I went for it is because I love continued education and I love to continue to get that exponential amount of knowledge. And that's why I love this career field is intelligence is very, very key. There can be a lot of seer guys that make it through the course that could be gray man, or it could be, you know, maybe, maybe the best guy, maybe the average guy. But if you don't keep up with current events, if you don't better yourself and learn the things that you need to learn, you're not going to be a good seer specialist. You can be in the career field and still not be a good seer specialist only because you're not doing the shit that you need to do in order to pass that along. Because what is the ultimate goal? We're not the, the important ones, right? I didn't join this career field to be the hero. I wanted to teach the heroes. Like I want to make sure that the other guy can be the hero, right? So in this career field, I think having that attribute of of that intelligence, of that continued education and, and always doing that. This is a 24 seven job. This isn't, this doesn't stop when you graduate. Like, Hey, I got this beret and I'm a seer guy now. I'm cool. No, like go out there, continue to hone your skills and, and don't lose, you know, don't lose these, these skills if you don't do them. And continuing that, I think is very, very important. Obviously, integrity is going to be, you know, pretty, pretty high up there as well, because we lost a guys. We lost a lot of guys due to integrity. Like you had you had one guy that was in uh, CSS and fam. He's stealing from the cadre refrigerator because he wanted food because he couldn't take it anymore. He literally couldn't take it anymore. So he stole the cadre's food and then got kicked off for it. What a bold move, though. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna go move. hard in the if you're gonna go hard in the paint, you might as well steal from the cadre. Exactly. I mean, steal from the at least he's not stealing from you guys. I, exactly. Steal from the cadre, not you guys. He did. Yeah, so I'm we okay had we had a bear box and we had inventory, and he was stealing our food as well. So oh, see, yeah. see that's messed. That's bad. messed up. There you <laughs> go. Um. Anyway, so yeah, integrity and obviously that grit. Um. I talk about like being stubborn, you know, having a little bit of that grit, but to a certain level, like an intellectual level of stubbornness, not just like that child, childish stubbornness. Um, but just saying, no, you're not going to beat me. Screw you. I have these guys. I have, you know, I have my brothers to my side. We have this. And sometimes it kind of does feel like us against the cadre. And if it doesn't feel like that, then then maybe you're doing something wrong because sometimes it should feel like that is like, hey, it it, it 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 solidifies that bond a little bit more. And you're like, OK, we're going to get together and we're going to figure this out. Um, so that grit to just don't 
don't quit. And I'll, um, if you guys want, I have like a, a notepad that I, I started on preteen because I needed, I needed something mentally to write down. And I wrote down that and that was like two years ago now that I wrote it down. And in this conference that I went to, I had read it out and I was like, man, I didn't realize I still had this in my notebook. And I lifted it up and I was like, this looks like shit, but it's still some really good notes. And there was just a few key aspects in there of, you know, what it helped for me to get through. So if you want, I'll read those out. Um, and then. And grit. I'll have to think of some more, but just, just being okay, not being comfortable. Like yeah. you just have to be okay be with that. Um, and being okay, being broken down because you, cause you ultimately are, they are building you into a machine. <laughs> They're building you into a machine um, to be professional uh, to make sure that, well, if we give up, then we're going to give up on, you know, our, the people that really need us the most is, is trying to give that information to, um, high risk of isolation. Um, and if we give up during team, during mm -hmm. pre-team, during any of the pipeline, then yeah, it, it shows you don't, you're not cut out for it. So, yeah, for sure. You definitely have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That's, you know, you, I mean, that's the name of the pipeline really. And mental and, fortitude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also understanding that <clears throat> anything that the cadre say to you or make you go through, it's not personal. I mean, oh, yeah, I, I guess no. it is in some way, but they're not trying to weed you out. They, they are trying to see what you're made of. And if you'll stick with it, if you happen to quit, you quit, but they're going to uphold a standard and they are, you, you said it, they're trying to build you yeah. and that's, you know, so they're, they're building their replacement is really what they're doing. Um, so fast forward a little bit, what was, you know, you graduate, you get your beret. What was that kind of first year as an instructor like for you? So that first year, you're still training. I mean, just because you get that beret doesn't mean you're a SEER specialist, mm -hmm. right? And I didn't know that. A lot of people don't know that. When you get that beret, you're not a SEER specialist. You still have to be certified into what you're going to teach. And that's the greatest thing about it. We have these AFIs. We have, you know, these, um, um, these guidelines that you have to meet in order to actually teach what you're going to teach. So you have a lot of different, a lot of different phases you can go into. You have water, you have, uh, the field flights, you have resistance training. Um, uh, you've got parachuting, you know, you have those four different areas that you can go into and they used to just send you straight to the field flights and, and then you would stay there for two, three years, get your CRM and then, um, and then you could go to either a different flight or you could go to a different match com. Um, but now they have guys sending straight out to different match coms, which is a little scary, right? To different bases, like right when they get off team. Me, I was sent straight to resistance training. So you go to, you know, that, that, that flight and then you have to certify on what you're going to teach. And it took me, I don't know, like I would say six to eight months to certify. Um, 
And then, so that's what it looked like for me that first year was just certifying, Hey, I need to, I need to teach this, 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 and this. And at a certain level. And if I don't, you know, and I'm evaluated on that. And so you're evaluated on your role play. If you go up to, you have academics as well. You're evaluated on, you know, um, on your seven steps that you do that you are taught in selection. You have a seven step lesson and you're taught on those seven steps and you're taught on ice and you're taught on, you know, your rapport with your students. Um, so certifying after graduating, you certify. And then also after graduating to hit that, um, to hit that level three, I believe you graduate as a level three and to get that level five, you have to go to airborne for a month and then you go to Arctic training, which is up at, um, Barrow, Alaska, the locals call it, uh, but you go up there, uh, for a little over a week and then, yeah, that was, that was another rough story. Um, which I think my, I think my phase that I went through Arctic training is on, uh, airport Alaska. It's on the Smithsonian channel. They're actually starting to, to bring it out. They had like a, a news crew come out a documentary. They wanted to do a documentary. They normally do it on like airports, like small airports. Um, but yeah, you could check that. You could check that out. That'd be cool. There's some team guys on there for sure. But yeah, that's a little bit of what it looks like is just certifying. And the field flight guys will probably have the longest certification is they, most guys would take up to a year to certify. So. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's not uncommon across, <laughs> you know, Air Force AFSCs. I mean, just no. for one, the concept of, hey, you're always training. Okay. You graduate, mm-hmm. you get your beret, you get your three level, whatever. Hey, you're, you're always training. You're never done. I mean, even at, even once you, you get to the, the higher ranks, you're still training, you're still exactly trying to improve. Um, so that's, that's not different for anybody else out there, but, um, Hmm, let's see, Aaron, what do you got, uh, based off of, I want, I know, I know that you're still like, you've been in for three years now, four years at this point. And you're still on your first kind of assignment, correct? Did that go through? Are you talking? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been in, I've been in for more than three years, Courtney. So that was not directed at me. <laughs> My bad. I had a I had a lapse. I had a lapse up here. I'm gonna drink I, some I water. do have one. Good. Nice. I do have one question for you. So how how much input do you have? You mentioned the different phases, right? So you mentioned that you can go to a different MAGCOM. I know that we're having brand new, you know, three level SEERs show up at the two series units and show up at our QSs and show up to other OSSs, which is operational support squadrons, um, trying to limit my acronym use. But how much input do you have into that process? Because I it's SEER. And one of the, my favorite uh, stereotypes about SEER is everybody immediately wants to go to parachuting. Like everybody wants to be a jump master and go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. SEER guys that at RQS, you know what they do? They play in jumps. That's what they do. Uh, kidding. Um, but how much, how much input do you have into that process or is it meritocracy based? How do you decide who goes where out of the apprentice course and onto your first assignment? Uh, so first to answer your question, Peaches, is I've been in, uh, let's see, 
three years will be this February will be three years. So I haven't been in very long. Um, <clears throat> so I, uh, this is still my first assignment, which is at Fairchild. So I stayed at the schoolhouse, um, and went straight to resistance training. And then I don't really have much to say on, um, how that process really looks because it's ever changing. Um, yeah. It, it's so flexible and really they're trying to get numbers at some point. And then now they're starting to bring it down um, to where they've, they've hit those numbers, they've hit those quotas. And then they're, they're starting to bring that down a little bit more. But I would say this last class, half of them went to a different MagCom and then half of them stayed at Fairchild. Typically that that's just not very traditional of how they used to do it. Like I said, they would stay and they would hone their skills as an instructor. They would learn um, all these different all these different uh, areas, and then they would go out. So, for example, you know, um, being pretty valuable on knowing policy and doctrine for resistance training, like that, is something super key. You know, nobody really cares about the role play, right? Because the schoolhouse is great for role play, but you go to a different MagCom and you don't really do role play. It's that policy and doctrine. What can you teach about that policy and doctrine to, you know, a, a guy that might be high risk of isolation? Uh, so that's what I had just went through was that three months. Um, and that's kind of new as well, uh, because we were at resistance training and then academics is separate from that. Um, and they're like, okay, well, how can we be better here? And then how can we make you guys more valuable? Well, let's just have you guys augment, go up there for three months. And then you're supporting a low man shop as well, uh, because these guys can be stuck there for two years at a time and they work over the weekend. Their days off is Tuesday, Wednesday. And these guys have been here for two years at a time. You have, you know, an NCO there that have been there for a while as well. And that kind of takes a toll on you and especially a family as well. So we're trying to rotate through. So like I said, everything is ever changing. Uh, this next class, it might be different. Maybe not a lot of people might go out to different match comms, uh, depending on you know, the numbers that they're looking for. Uh, they might all stay here. They might all go to the field flights. And I know um, the field flights are kind of hurting right now. They've taken a lot of people from RT and would go there. And, and if you certify at RT, maybe you can ask to go to, to go to water. If you certify at water, you can ask to go to parachuting. So it's, it's really just a rotating, you know, um, a rotating cycle. That's really the only kind of input that I would have on it is that it, it's not the same ever. It's, it changes. Where are you most excited about going to next? What do you want to do for your career as your next step? Uh, at first, I wanted to go to water uh, because I, I was obviously I worked in marine biology. I had all my dive certs besides, I think, rescue. And then um, I really wanted to go to dive school really bad. And I still want to. And probably when I get back from this TDY um, that I'm on right now, because I'm here at weapons school. Um, uh, I'll probably go back and start augmenting, start doing dive PT and then see if I can go to, go to dive school. But, uh, water would be really cool, but another MagCom like would be, would be awesome for me. Cause I feel like I've, I've been here. I've been, you know, an instructor here for 
um, over a year now. I've certified in, in RT. I know policy and doctrine. Um, so I think, you know, that could help. I could actually, instead of just saying, here are the slides, I could say, no, this is actually policy and doctrine and this is what they teach and this is what you need to do. Uh, so I feel very, very confident in that level, um, to be able to go to a different magicom and say, Hey, this is the shit that you need to know. Um, but yeah, that can be expanded all the time. Right. Uh, so if you're not augmenting, I would say this to to SEER candidates after you graduate, if you're not augmenting at other field flights, um, well, not just the field flights, but at other flights, then you're doing something wrong. So, Nice. Well, Court, I want to say thanks for coming on. We always end with an advice piece here. So if you could, if you could talk, and I, I heard you earlier when you said that you're, you know, engaging with other SEER candidates that are thinking about coming in, if you could give somebody some advice so they can put that in their back pocket to get them through the two years of training it takes to be a SEER specialist and beyond. What would you tell them? This is where I bring out my notebook and you see that nice. it's really old. Very Don't old. throw that away either. It's the only thing that I will tell you as somebody that's been in a little bit longer than you have, save <laughs> those notebooks. Fill that, fill that notebook up, put it on a shelf somewhere, go back and read it occasionally. You'd be surprised how smart you are in retrospect. I will tell you, you will have a lot of right in the rain notebooks on a shelf after your entire pipeline. And my advice is just to go through those and, and read them again or even rewrite them. Uh, okay. Advice for, um, for any SEER candidates going through. This is what helped me going through the pipeline. Hope it can help you guys. Uh, my number one was just don't quit. Just don't quit. It's super simple. Um, I had to write it down to for it to get through my brain, and that's fine. Uh, remember your own why. They will tell you to have a why, uh, hopefully in development or, or in selection, and say, you need to have a why. What that means is you need to have something strong enough to get you through training. Because if you don't, if you say, I just want to be a cool guy, that's not going to cut it. You need to have a strong enough why, a strong enough passion as to why you're there to get you to continue because you're going to hit those, those plateaus. You're going to hit that wall and then you're going to be like, you know, that time where I was in nav and I wanted to quit. I had to remember why I was there. Why am I doing this? Because I thought of that a lot. I don't get paid enough to do this crap. Like, why am I doing this? You know, so remember your own why and it doesn't, your why can change. My why changed a lot. Um, throughout the pipeline. And that's perfectly fine. They're all still my why. I just kind of, you know, changed a little bit as they went. Be confident. I struggled with that at the beginning. Um, and if you, if you act like you know what you're talking about, it looks good. So just kind of fake it till you make it. And that's perfectly fine until you build up that confidence. And that's what the pipeline is meant for is to build that confidence up. Uh, make small goals. Um, like I said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, don't, don't look too far ahead because you get distracted and then, you know, something's going to happen in that day. And then you're like, Oh, what's the next phase going to look like? What's our career going to look like? You know, what's Fairchild going to look like when I haven't even made it to selection yet. Um, so take it one day at a time and make very, very small goals, whether that be, you know, Hey, how am I going to make it to the next hour? How am I going to get this assignment done? So on and so forth. And then you are more than your physical capabilities. I had to remember this because, you know, I, I felt like I was very weak through, through, you know, workouts, you know, I was still very strong and still, you know, was very, very capable. Um, but I felt like earning the respect of 
the other guys took me a little while and I didn't realize that it took me until, I don't know, maybe eating an eyeball out of a rabbit. One guy told me that I earned his respect doing that or, or, um, or pushing a 500 pound sled, you know, one day earning the respect of that, or just, you know, going through a nav phase with just the same amount of, of gear and, and weight that those guys had. And I was trudging through five, six feet of snow, the same thing they were. So remember that you're more than your physical capabilities because it's really a lot of mental. I'm almost done. I promise. Imagine yourself already achieving your goal. That's something that really helped me. I had had this journal um, and I had had inside of that journal, it had the entire year planned out. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit selection. I'm going to hit, you know, Fairchild. I'm going to hit this. Not really trying to get ahead of myself, but looking at the bigger picture, um, not getting lost in that picture. And then I would have like a little vision board in that journal. I just already imagined myself. This is what I was going to do. This is what I want. So imagine yourself already doing it. And then um, know that you're good enough regardless. You're going to mess up. That's inevitable. Things are going to happen. You're going to suck a lot. You may suck seven days in a row, but you are good enough regardless. If you're there, you have the grit. You have, you know, what you need to do to be there. You've made it this far. Um, you're enough and just know that, and then continue to help and guide others. I just had to, that's where my passion came from is helping and guiding others. And then remember that comfort is a silent killer. That helped me a lot is because, um, if I was comfortable, there was something, there was something wrong. So. Fantastic. You crushed it. <laughs> Absolutely crush it. Courtney, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. For everybody that's out there that thinks they want to try this crazy thing out for uh, for Air Force Seer, go over and check goseer.af.mil. It's a great resource for everything that you could possibly need, uh, need to use. You know where to find us at onesready.com. Make sure you're following, liking, subscribing. Just go ahead and caress that subscribe button and turn your notifications on. We'd appreciate it. The subscribe button does it. Just caress it. Just give it a little little something <laughs> just give it a little hey how you doing um courtney you have any socials you want to put out or anywhere that they can contact you if they want to or you want to just use us as your uh, easy button uh i can just use you guys i mean i've got instagram i've got facebook and if people really want to look me up they can they can find me <laughs> fantastic well thanks again for coming on we appreciate you everybody else yep. train hard thanks for